This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every uh, Sunday night at this time. We, uh, of course, are willing to take your calls. We encourage you to call in with your Bible question or comment. We understand that if I sit here and preach without any calls, it's probably going to bore you to tears. The calls are what make this program interesting. So call in with your uh, comments, questions. Even if you disagree with me, it's okay to call in and express your disagreement. We can do it in a friendly way. Discuss both sides of the issue and let the Bible decide who's right. Because we know God is right. Pat can be wrong, but God is right. The Bible is right. That's why I'm trying to prove everything I say with Scripture on this program. Now, last week we were talking about John 19. And to me, John 19 is the most detailed description of the torturous death crucifixion of Christ. And one reason I like to go through these verses, I do it, I like to read it myself quite often because every time I go through it, reading about what Christ suffered for us, the excruciating pain, he didn't get anything out of it. We're, we're the ones that benefit from it. It just makes me appreciate more what Christ has done for me. And the more we appreciate what Christ has done for us, I think, I'm sure, the better motivated we're going to be to serve him faithfully. Perhaps in the future we study something doctrinal. We got we see we got to make a change in our belief and practice to conform to what the Bible says. We're, we're going to be more willing to do that, to make that change, if we... Think back about what Christ was willing to do for us. Now, last week in John 19, we, we looked at how Jesus was scourged. Uh, you might not know what that means in the King James, but that's where they took a whip with many tails, tied bones or rocks to the end of it, and basically whipped the guy they're about to execute, about to crucify. And they did that with Jesus, and it just tore the flesh right off his back. It's got to be the most painful thing you can imagine. Jesus went through that. They hit him in the face. They mocked him. Um, to me, just to think about having nails going through your hands and feet to nail you to the cross, it's got to be tremendously uh, painful. Um, We need to learn to appreciate this better. You know, Jesus, you might say, had it made. He, He leaves that lofty position in heaven, becomes a man, a servant at that, and he, knowing full well he's going to have to suffer through this, all this torture, even leading up to his death, such a painful way to die. Traditionally, in the United States and Canada, if you go back for the last three or 400 years, the traditional way of executing a murderer was by hanging. But, but we switched to uh, lethal injection. And, and uh, uh, in Alabama, it's the electric chair. Why? Well, to make it less painful for the person who's being executed. But the crucifixion was intended to be the exact opposite of that, to inflict the most horrendous amount of pain possible. Let's read about Jesus finally being crucified after all this torture in John 19, 15 through 17. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar, we bring up Pilate here. We remember from last week, uh, verse 4, uh, and I think verse 6, Pilate said twice, I find no fault in him. Here we are, we're, we're crucifying Jesus, just like a murderer would be executed. But but even Pilate, the one in charge of deciding whether or not he's going to be executed, crucified, didn't see anything he'd done wrong. And that's that's right, because Jesus never committed a sin much less a crime. Jesus 
was tempted in all points like as we are, Hebrews 4, uh, 15, yet without sin. To me, that's the greatest accomplishment in the history of the world. Can you imagine somebody going 33 years tempted just like we are, tempted just like any man could have sinned, but he never succumbed to the temptation. To me, the greatest accomplishment in the history of the world. In 1 Peter 2, it talks about his he, he, him redeeming us, uh, chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 and 20, him redeeming us with his blood, with his precious blood, without blemish and without spot. He had to live perfectly in order to be qualified to die on the cross for our sins. And it wasn't just he died. He was died a violent death. He was crucified. Continuing reading in John 19, 16 and 17, then then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. Jesus was actually crucified. They murdered God's son. You know, the early chapters of the book of Acts, Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 7, at least, and maybe one or two more, there's a consistent pattern. The preacher, whether it's Peter or Stephen, he's preaching to Jews and he said, hey, you, that guy you crucified, that, that's the son of God. You murdered the son of God. I can't think of any worse sin than that. That's what the Jews did here. They they weren't just crucifying, executing a, a criminal. Jesus was completely innocent. It wasn't just a regular man. It was the son of God. What a travesty. We need to learn to appreciate what Jesus went through for us. Joe from Mississippi, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, good evening, uh, Patrick. Um, I just wanted to comment. I think I think what we missed many times is more than the crucifixion, as terrible as it was. We have to remember that there were thousands of people crucified under Roman tyranny during during that time. Uh, so it was a terrible death, but the thing Jesus did that no other man ever did was he took my sin and your sin and the sins of the entire human race on his shoulders as well as being crucified. That's something we forget, that he had the weight of the sin of mankind on him during that crucifixion. That That is a tremendous thing that we will never be able to truly fathom that is beyond the physical part. That is the mental and spiritual anguish that he felt when he was crying out in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will but thine. That was bearing on him, not just the physical part, but the spiritual part of bearing the sins of mankind. And I think when we really look at that, it can help us live a life glorifying God more fully than, than just the physical. Not that, not that that's not important, but that's a huge part of it is the spiritual as well. Joe, I think you're making a great point. Remember, Jesus said, and I think it's because of what you're talking about, the, the sins being laid upon Jesus. In Matthew 27, 46, he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God had to forsake Jesus because our sins were laid upon him. Isaiah 59, Amen. verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And just to prove what you're saying, some people may doubt this, Joe, but our sins were laid upon Jesus. We can argue about That's it all right. day long, but Isaiah 53, 
the end of verse 6 says, And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. God laid upon Jesus all of our sins. Now, that doesn't mean, Joe, and the audience, it doesn't mean that Jesus was guilty of our sins. You, you can't transfer the guilt of sin. You can't rewrite history. That would be a lie. It's talking about Jesus became responsible for our sins. He took the punishment for our sins. That's what it means when it says God laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. All of our sins, the sins for all of mankind for all time were laid upon him. Doesn't mean he was guilty of our sins. No, he was the most completely innocent lamb of God of all time. But as verse 5 says, the previous verse, it says, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. That's the chastisement, an old King James way of saying punishment. The punishment of our peace was upon him. Jesus was punished so we could have peace with God. He was punished for our sins so we wouldn't have to be punished for our sins. And that's what it's talking about when it says God laid upon Jesus the sin of us all. And I appreciate Joe bringing out that point. Joe, got any any follow-up? I guess he's off the air, off the line. Anyway, if you got a Bible question or comment, the lines are now wide open. The number to call is 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. We've been, Joe's right. We've been mainly talking about the pain and the suffering that Jesus went through at John 19. But Joe's right. Isaiah 53 says, God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That's got to have been terrible something terrible for Jesus to have to endure, to have all those sins laid upon him. Again, it's not talking about the guilt. It's talking about the responsibility. He was punished, So, verse 5, so that we could have peace with God. He was punished for our sins so that we wouldn't have to be punished for our sins. You add up all this physical pain and torture and the mental and spiritual anguish that Jesus went through, and you think about that. He, he says... My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I, I take it he was forsaken because those sins were laid upon him. That's, I'm sure, the only time in history that Jesus was ever forsaken, separated from God. That's got to have been a terrible ordeal for Jesus Christ. And like I said, Jesus went through all of this and didn't get anything out of it for himself. He did it all for us, for our benefit. He must have loved us an awful lot to be willing to do that. Um, back in Isaiah 53, verse 10 says, I'm just reading the first part. It says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. We're not talking about God enjoying watching his son being tortured and killed. No, no, no sane person could enjoy watching their son being tortured. But it's saying that God was pleased with the results. So, so God had to suffer through this torture of his son, just like any man would suffer watching his son being tortured. But God was pleased because it enabled us to be saved. Without the death of Christ, we couldn't be saved. John from Toronto, Canada. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, I have a question about in the book of Acts. The early church was selling off all their extra possessions and taking the money and giving it to the poor. Today, if we're keeping all the commandments, but we're still worried about our 401ks or we have a boat and a cottage and all the extra possessions. Are we uh, still saved? Well, you know, the Bible never teaches it's wrong to be rich. I'm going to first Timothy chapter six. 
And there's a lot of passages we could show this, but in 1 Timothy 6, it says the love of money is the root of all evil, verse 10. Not money's the root of all evil, but the love of money. It says in verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world. That's talking about somebody who's rich. It doesn't say they have to give up all their money and become poor. It says that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. So a person who's been blessed financially, it's not a sin, uh, but he's not to trust in his riches. Riches can bring a lot more temptations than poor. I mean, a person that's got a million dollars is going to probably be tempted to uh, hire a prostitute because he can afford it way more than a person who only has a dollar. So there brings a lot of temptations, but he's supposed to not trust in his riches, but in the living God, he's supposed to be rich in good works, verse 18, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. So be willing to help others less fortunate than we are. We have to be willing to do that and to help those who are less fortunate than we are, or we won't be saved. Bart from Florida, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey there, Pat. Nice to talk to you again. Um, I just wanted to make a comment about the crucifixion and what it means to me. It's it's the heart and soul. It's it's all about the cross. We know that. But do we really know that? I think, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, but every day, when, every week when I take the Lord's Supper, that's what I think about. I become Jesus. I'm mocked, spat on, flogged. Then I drag that cross up the hill. Then it slams on the ground and I'm nailed to it. Then four or six people pick me up. Drop me in a hole about three or four feet deep, slam into the bottom, and there I sit for three days. And I, I, I often wonder about why uh, it took so long for God to take him home, but I'm thinking that I'm starting to realize now that our sin is so great and we are so far from God that in order for Jesus to take that sin— he had to suffer like God suffers when we sin. And when he said, why have you forsaken me? He was at the point of, he was at his breaking point. So so I think that every week when we take the Lord's Supper, people should think about that. When you're eating the unleavened bread and you're drinking his blood, you should think about being him, blameless, sinless, the Lamb of God. That's all. Just want Bart, to put it out there for the rest of the world to think about. Bart, thank you for your call. Thanks a lot. We were talking about how that you got to be willing to help folks less fortunate than you are. We know from uh, Bible verses we've talked about before, Matthew 15, verse 9, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. We're going to be judged based upon our doctrine. We're going to be judged based upon our morality. First Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 gives us a list of sins and says, if, if you continue in those sins, you don't repent. Uh, it lists adultery, fornication, drunkenness, homosexuality. If you don't repent, get out of those sins, repent of those sins, turn from those sins. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. We're going to be judged based upon our morality. We're also going to be judged based upon whether or not we're willing to help others, less fortunate than we are. Matthew 25, 31 through uh, 48 is pro- perhaps the 
the mo- the biggest, the longest verse-wise of any judgment description of the judgment day, and it's primarily focused on helping those who are needy. So we're going to be judged based upon our doctrine, our morality, whether or not we help those. We better be busy doing everything that God told us and not just one or the other. You know, I'm, I wanted to mention something. It's a little bit of, you might say, advertising here. Uh, Bible cro- the BibleCrossFire.com, you might go there, BibleCrossFire.com, and there's a lot of interesting things, I think, that you can access there. This website was done a couple of years ago by my friend Shane Pack. You can go there if you want to ask me a question, like an email question, Bible question. You can go there and listen to old programs. Every single program I've done, except maybe one that didn't work, is is on there. Since about July 2015, you can listen to all the programs, Bible Crossfire, going all the way back to 2015. You can ask for a Bible correspondence course. That's a way to learn the Bible, like, through the mail or through email. So you don't have... Uh, but you can request a Bible study that I do f- by phone. You, you hear me that advertising that uh, pretty much every week. We can do a Bible study by phone. One hour free bone Bible study. Sometime when it's convenient for you, be glad to do that. Or if you're uncomfortable doing that, you can ask for the correspondence course. Go to BibleCrossFire.com to access any of those things. Another thing that I like to offer, I, I, I used to offer this more often, before COVID came, but perhaps you appreciate my teaching and would like me to come preach a revival or a gospel meeting at the congregation where you are. I would like to come. I wouldn't, uh, I'm willing. And get this, I never accept pay for preaching, so I'm willing to come for free. And it doesn't matter what kind of church it is. I preached at Methodist churches, several times at Baptist churches, a Seventh-day Adventist church, Numerous times at Churches of Christ, even a Nazarene church once. Just know that the ground rules coming in are that I will preach what your particular audience needs to hear. Not necessarily what they already believe or practice. 2 Timothy 4 verse 3. Now, this also could be in the form of a public debate if you disagree with something I teach. It could be a series of sermons for three or four nights, whatever. Or it could be a debate if you disagree with something I teach on this program. Let's publicly discuss it. We could do that in a friendly way. And the public discussion method is is a way to allow both sides of an issue to be fairly heard. Just like we see done daily in passages like Acts 19, 8 through 10. Paul disputed daily for two years in that passage. Yet we have all kinds of religious people that seem to be against public debating when Paul did it all the time. Jesus did it. So if you'd like me to come preach or have a debate wherever you are, uh, you can contact me through uh, BibleCrossFire.com. Very easy there. Or at the end of the program, I'll give you my uh, text number. You can call or text me. Anyway, we're talking about the crucifixion tonight. And what I'm hoping to get across is that we develop a better appreciation for what Jesus has done for us. And we're going to be better motivated to serve him faithfully. Uh, In the meantime, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. Get right on the air. The lines are wide open. Call us if you have a Bible question or comment at 877-655-6755. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, the response. Now that we've talked about this torturous death that Jesus went through for us, he didn't benefit from us. We're the ones that benefited from it spiritually, our salvation is dependent upon. After all, Hebrews 9.22 says, 
Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Matthew 26, 28 says Jesus shed his blood for the remission of our sins. So without Jesus' death, we couldn't be saved. No way. What is our response? What should it be? Hebrews 9, 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Well, what that's saying is here's our response. We ought to quit the dead works, the bad works, the sin, leave that and start serving the living God. That's what we ought to do in response to what Jesus has done for us. How about Matthew 6, 33? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Our response to God and what Jesus has done for us should be that we're going to seek first, put him first before anything. After all, if we can't be saved without him dying, which which is what we just learned, we owe him everything spiritually. So it's not too much for God to ask us to put him first. He comes first before anything, before money, before our jobs, before even our family, before college football, before sinful pleasures. We put him before everything. We serve our time. We're, we're going to be a servant of his. We're going to completely dedicate our time to serving the Lord. Luke 14, 33, Jesus said, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple unless you're willing to renounce everything you've got, which is what the newer translations say here. You can't be a disciple of Christ. In other words, you're not really a disciple unless you put him first before everything else. One of my favorite passages, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, you may not be able to if you're driving, but Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 kind of sums it up. What we've been talking about is our response to what Jesus has done for us. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice, we're supposed to let Christ live in us. It's like we're pretending that Christ is living inside of our body. So if I let Christ take over my body, I let Christ live in me, that means every day, when I'm deciding what I'm going to do, when I'm deciding how I'm going to react to situations like temptations and other things around me, I'm going to try to do what Jesus would do. Remember that saying about 15 or 20 years ago, what would Jesus do? That's perfect. We ought to always do what Jesus would do. So instead of doing what Pat wants to do in every situation, or what Pat thinks is best in every situation, I'm going to do what Jesus would do in that situation what Christ would think is best in that situation. It may not be, may not agree with what I would want to do, but I'm going to do what Jesus would do. Now, how am I going to know what Jesus would do in any particular situation? You're only going to know by studying his word to find out what he, did, what he, what he teaches. You know, John 8, 31, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. That's what a disciple is. Somebody who continues in Jesus's word. A lot of people claim to be Jesus' disciple, but the, whole, the true disciple is the one who continues in his word. You may see me majoring on that on this program, emphasizing we have to continue in his word. We can't just say, all you got to do is believe in Jesus. I'll be saved and not continue in his word. No, you're not a disciple of Christ unless you continue in his word. And that's why we talk so much on this program about what the word actually teaches on issues, topics, subjects, gay marriage, women preachers, baptism. Because it's so important 
to understand the truth because you can't let Christ live in you. You can't do what Christ would do unless you know what he would do by serving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. I think my favorite passage on total commitment is Matthew uh, chapter 16, 24 through 26. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for, for his soul? If you want to follow Christ, you have to deny doing what you want to do. Follow Jesus. You have to lose your life. Not live my life the way Pat would want to live it. Live it the way Jesus would don't want to do it. If I lose my life in that sense, I'll gain spiritual, eternal life. If you would like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience, call or text me at 256 682 Nine seven five three.